Welcome to the Engage with Energy podcast. Engage with Energy is dedicated to solving problems related to business transformation, enterprise asset management, and corporate social responsibility. We will be bringing you interesting guests and sharing useful information to help you on your journey to achieving world-class business performance. Thanks for tuning in. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to the Engage with Energy podcast. I'm Bill Fuco, Director of Business Development with Engage Energy and Industrial Consulting. In my role, I have the pleasure of speaking with business leaders who have many issues affecting their business today. In the industries that we serve, energy, utilities, oil and gas, and chemical, we see several issues that are common themes. Some of those are the energy price environment, the COVID-19 pandemic, a new presidential administration, increased merger activity, um, getting back to the basics of sound asset management, and a focus on sustainability for 2021. On today's podcast, I'm sitting down with Don Racy, founder and CEO of Engage Energy, to discuss some of these issues and find out where we see opportunities in 2021. So, Don, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. How Pleasure. does it feel to be in the hot seat and on the other side of the table for a change? <laughs> Good. Let's give it a go. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> Good. Well, listen, I received an email from a uh, longtime listener. He wanted to know what excites you and gets you up in the morning. Oh, gosh. I don't know who that person was, but uh, <laughs> I would say first and foremost, probably a good cup of coffee. Um, but after that, I think it's knowing that, uh, you know, we get up every day and, and try to do the best job that we can for our clients and give them an experience that is truly different in our industry. And that's what I'm really proud of, mm -hmm. uh, what we've been able to build over the last couple of years and uh, the relationships we've made and uh, certainly the friendships that we've made along the way. But more importantly, knowing that the work we did um, had really positive results for the folks that we've worked with. That's really what excites me, gets me out of bed in the morning. Well, I have to agree with you. <laughs> I have to agree with you. Well, we're glad to get your perspective on these issues that these business leaders are dealing with, and we're hoping to get your insight on what they can do to be successful in the near future. Yeah, so absolutely. let's get started. <clears throat> you know, a common theme that I hear, especially in the oil and gas and the energy industries, is how the fluctuation of energy prices is affecting the environment and, and their businesses. Can you put that in perspective for us? Well, sure. Um, you know, we, we've all heard the term lower for longer as mm -hmm. it re relates to energy prices. And I think that's going to continue probably um, at least for the next year or so. Um, the the COVID-19 pandemic has put in a tremendous strain on the energy market. Um, there's no demand. Nobody's flying. Nobody's driving great distances. They're right. not taking vacations. Uh, business travel has certainly taken a hit. And so um, with, with oil specifically, um, that's, you know, one of the key drivers of right. that. Um, with, with natural gas, there's just not a lot of commercial build out right now. And, uh, and, and so therefore, uh, 
prices are continuing to stay low. And, and like I said, given the pandemic and where we are in its uh, life cycle, um, we do have uh, hopefully some vaccinations on the way. Help is on the way. But, you know, that's still going to be first quarter of 2021 if we're really lucky. Right. Uh, and most likely the second half of 2021, hopefully demand will pick back up. But I think that a lot of the behaviors that we're seeing today are going to stay in place. You know, uh, we're getting quite used to having calls, for instance, with clients on Zoom and oh, uh, yes. Microsoft Teams and whatnot. And so we've we found out that it's it's been fine. Mm-hmm. It's been fine. And in some cases, it's been better, you know. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't foresee an uptick in, in prices anytime soon. Um, so given that, I think that a lot of, especially the oil and gas companies, are not in a growth mode right now. No, they're, they're, in a, they're just maintaining the status quo. Right, right. I agree with yeah. you. Um, in conjunction with that, we've all witnessed a very contentious presidential election. And without getting too political, <laughs> what effect do you see a new administration coming into existence? And it, how will that affect business owners and, and their yeah. near future? Yeah, well, I think it's more of a, of a hope and a wish uh, than it is my specific knowledge of anything, because okay. no, none of us know what's actually going to happen. No, we don't. But what I hope happens is that out of this new administration, we get a national energy policy, something solid uh, documented through the Department of Energy that large companies, especially large oil and gas and regulated utilities and the like, can begin using that as a framework to make capital and budget decisions mm-hmm. where they feel comfortable investing one way or the other. Okay. So if there is going to be a renewed emphasis, for instance, on renewables, um, you know, utilities and uh, independent power producers may start directing their budgets and capital towards those ends. Okay. Um, I'm kind of hoping it's going to have a little bit of everything sprinkled in there. Uh, I'm hoping that there is a common sense approach to renewables. You know, we have a, a Big issues with scale. We have big issues with geography mm-hmm. in that regard. Not um, every place. You know, we're in western Pennsylvania in Pittsburgh. We have a lot of gray days. Right. A lot of gray days. So, you know, solar is probably not going to be the answer for us. And needing the amount of real estate you do need for solar and, and a lot of times wind, um, that's not always conducive. So natural gas, given our location and the reserves that we sit atop on the Marcellus Shale Formation, it's, you know, uh, it's a huge resource that I believe we need to be um, taking advantage of, mm-hmm. but doing it smartly as well. Do you see a lot of companies today uh, reducing their carbon footprint in preparation for uh, 2021 and down the road? Or are we looking much farther down the road? No, I, I think, um, you, you know, the whole world of uh, corporate social responsibility is here to stay, and it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, becoming a more sustainable organization is a good thing. Um, we are seeing the, what's, you know, ES, ESG environment, environmental, social, and governance, 
Um, the way that investors are looking at this, it is, it's become a mandate. They want to invest in companies that have sound ESG policies. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the benefit for us, you know, is, is we've seen an uptick in work in helping companies provide, uh, uh, build programs out to address that, you know, corporate social responsibility programs. Uh, uh, how do they become more um, environmentally conscious and um, uh, environmentally friendly? And so that will not, I think the pace of that will only pick up. And more importantly, consumers are demanding it now. Okay, but is there a is there a return on their investment when they invest in corporate social responsibility? Some of the business yeah. owners I speak to, they have sort of an attitude that uh, I don't see getting very much return on my investment for the money I need to put into it. Yeah, What's you know, I, I would I would suggest at looking at a lot of the the recent publications that have come on that, come out on that particular subject. There's a lot of great research out there and a lot of great content that's written about the ROI mm -hmm. of investing in um, uh, companies that are more socially aware, socially conscious, and have programs in place to reduce their carbon footprint. Um, that is why the money is flowing into those investments, because there is an ROI on it. Okay. You know, private the private equity world, the investment banking world would not be putting their money there if it wasn't. So it's absolutely there. Makes and sense. I don't have the actual data at my fingertips, but I can just tell you those, the, there's a lot of great studies out there that show that. And uh, I think it's, it's important for companies to really take a hard look at what they're doing internally to raise their own profile mm -hmm. in that regard. So sustainability isn't just one of those words that uh, companies feel they need to put on their website and that's all they really need to no, do. No, I hope not. It's, you know, A, it's the right thing to do, and B, um, you know, it's, it's a deliberate way of doing business. Mm -hmm. It's a very um, uh, aware way, uh, being aware of what you're doing and what your company is doing to contribute to the welfare of your customers and your community and your uh, suppliers. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's only going to grow. It's only going to become more prevalent. And I think that for many folks, you know, we're, we're basically a, a contractor, if you will, for our clients. Right. They hire us to do a job. And in most cases, it's a temp job. Mm -hmm. But um, we're seeing in uh, purchasing documents, they're already asking, what's your program? What's it look like? You know, we, we used to see that as far as diversity and inclusion in some of the documents we received. Now it's, it's, it's more than that. It's diversity, inclusion, and what are you doing for the environment? Mm -hmm. Great, great. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about mergers and acquisitions. Uh, yeah. uh, in, in the various industrial markets that we work within, um, there's been a drop in mergers and acquisitions in 2020, and most specifically in the uh, deals that are being made, the prices in the deals that are being made. What do you see for 2021 with companies that want to position themselves for a merger or an acquisition? And what can they do today to position themselves for possible buyouts? Uh, I, I certainly think we're going to see an uptick in activity. 
Okay. Um, I, you know, with um, if volume of M and A was down in 2019, I think it's a direct result of the pandemic. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of cost cutting mm-hmm. that had to happen as a result of that, and you were also thrust in the middle of an election year. Right. So right. I, it was one of those things where I don't. There's a lot of business leaders that were didn't really. And still don't, to some extent, don't know what the future looks like. You know, I think now with uh, really promising news on vaccines on the horizon, we have a new administration and who will be starting in January. I think that there is a lot more certainty in the overall market. Um, I think with that certainty is going to come a lot more um Activity. I think we're going to see a lot more activity, especially in the oil and gas market. Okay. Given the the reduction in prices, it's created a lot of um, need to scale. Okay. If you will. Sure. So there's not going to be a lot of necessarily production growth, but I think what folks will be looking to do is find some strategic acquisitions and um, execute on those to get ready for the next uptick okay. in, in, in prices. Um, so with that, I, I think we're going to see more uh, activity, not less. Okay. Well, that's good yeah. news. Um, some of the services that we offer, one of them being business transformation, <clears throat> what does that look like to our clients that are going through a merger or an acquisition? What, what can we actually provide for them? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, more than anything is uh, when, a, when an M&A deal or an acquisition, a merger is, is taking place, it's, you, we usually look at it from a very financial perspective, especially initially. But then what you have to do is you have to integrate the businesses. You have to integrate the cultures, you have to integrate the processes, and you have to integrate the customers. Mm-hmm. So it is important that you have a plan for each of those. And so um, business transformation in, in, in relationship to mergers and acquisitions is all about that. It's making sure that there is a strategy and an executable plan to make sure that that transition is a seamless and as seen as value to the stakeholders involved. There's a lot of changes when a business goes through a, a transformation process like that, how do you manage all of those various changes with the employees, with the staff, with upper management? Yeah, it's kind of like how to eat an elephant, right? Right, one, exactly. One bite at a time. <laughs> but I think more important, the most important thing you have to do is have a change management strategy and a playbook at, at, at your fingertips and understanding that there will be a lot of anxiety there will be changes to the organization. And one of the key components of that is being transparent and communicating effectively. And 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 more importantly, it, you have to have the leadership out front in, in these times. Um, usually they're inundated with, you know, requests on their time. It's tough because they're very busy because they've helped broker these transactions sure, right but it, it is important not to lose sight of your customers and your employees because they are the two constituents that will make or break your company 
Sure. So, it's very uh, difficult for them. Yeah. So having a solid change management plan is, is key. And we can offer that to oh, them absolutely. to be able to. Absolutely. Okay, great. Let's talk a little bit about asset management. Uh, when I talk to maintenance managers, reliability managers, or engineers, um, I'm keep getting the same common themes across many of these companies. Um, can you expound a little bit on what some of those common issues might be? Yeah, I, I think you're probably, that's a good question, Bill, and I think you're probably referring to um, the fact that a lot of these companies over the last several years have become very lean, lean in regard to their uh, people, uh, their resources. Okay. They are doing more with less, or they're doing the same with a lot less. And so that puts a strain and a stress on those those managers because every day becomes somewhat of a firefight for them. Is and, that due to layoffs? Um, a lot of it is, is due to layoffs, and a lot of it is due to, you know, the inputs. The raw material costs have gone up. And so in order to keep your margins, you have to find ways to reduce your costs. Okay. And one of the quickest and easiest ways, frankly, is to reduce staff and reduce mm -hmm. labor cost as it goes into a, the cost of goods sold. Okay. So, uh, so these companies over the years have, have become leaner and done more with less people. That puts a strain on everybody involved, but it also puts a strain on the machinery. That So we're in asset-heavy industries, right? right? We're in sure. oil and gas, utilities, uh, chemicals, refining, those types of places where you need people to fix things. Mm -hmm. You need people to maintain these assets. And so what has happened over the years is that backlog of work has increased the amount of people to fix those things have decreased. Right. And so um, who pays the price? Well, the machinery pays the price. Mm -hmm. And so um, that, that that's one of the issues. Uh, a, 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 in a, a leveling or a leaning out of labor. Now, just to expound upon that, excuse me real quick. I'm hearing a complaint that a lot of their experienced technicians and mechanics are retiring yeah absolutely are taking yeah. buyouts and uh it, what issue is that for them in finding experienced people to be able to fill those holes yeah that's a great point because um you lose so much institutional knowledge of mm -hmm. of that equipment and machinery that was locked in the heads of of those of those people um and, and you're right there's a big generational gap in that regard so you've had people who have you know spent careers and in, in these facilities they understood the equipment and they're retiring right and, and so you need to bring new folks on unfortunately the one thing you can't do in this environment is bring somebody on and put them on the hip of those experienced people for long periods of time it's right. it's just not cost effective so what happens is you get a, a new um, uh, group of folks or a new generation of employees that now have to kind of figure it out on their own because they didn't have the benefit of apprenticing under mm -hmm. s someone like sure. that. So um, 
many companies try to use their systems to close the gap, you know, uh, whether it be their work histories on equipment and maintaining them and their uh, uh, maintenance management systems uh, and those types of things. That's one way to do it. Um, but but more than um, but often it's it's unfortunately it's uh, baptism by fire for a lot of these folks. Right. And so that puts the strain and stress on the management team, as you alluded to earlier. Right. So not only do we have uh, a leaning out of that workforce, now we have a new generation of people coming who are not, um, uh, who don't have the experience with those assets. You know, so it compounds itself. I, I think one of the other things that we've seen is that we have a lot of antiquated systems out there inside oh, yes. these facilities. Right. So. You know, back in the 90s, I can remember there was a huge push um, to bring on new systems to manage all of mm-hmm. all, all of this work. And, and it was very successful for a long period of time. Unfortunately, a lot of those systems have not kept pace. Right. You know, and um, as the we lost a lot of that, um, those human resources uh, they weren't as well maintained as they should. Right. And so, you know, the old adage, garbage in, garbage out. And we, we, we see it a lot, yeah. you know, with our, our inventory not being up to snuff, our, uh, our PMs and our preventive maintenance practices not being up to snuff, and our systems being somewhat antiquated. And now you have a new generation of people coming on who expect more out of the technology because they've grown up with iPhones in their hands and iPads right. and things like that. <laughs> and they're like, why is why is it shouldn't be like this? OK, let me ask you, it, <laughs> is that why we're seeing so many companies being more reactive than proactive in their maintenance yeah. and their asset management. Yeah, absolutely. That seems to be yeah. probably the yeah. largest complaint I hear about. Absolutely. Out there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's just that uh, that tension between those forces, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, and so, you know, one of the things you know that we try to do obviously is to go in and help them relieve that pressure. Okay. Relieve the pressure on the management team, provide the programs and the processes necessary to kind of streamline their their work and to um, to scale um, you know to to be able to function in a with less resources but the biggest comment I get is we don't want you coming in and revamping our entire system and it costing us hundreds of thousands of dollars what can we do to help them offset that high cost initially and give them some quick value or quick wins to show an ROI, a return on their investment quickly? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. You know, one of the, one of the things that we typically do uh, is uh, go in for a very short period of time and, and conduct a, an assessment. Okay. Of, of kind of a current state assessment on, on where they are with their maintenance work management practices, their asset management and reliability practices, and look for, you know, it's kind of cliche to say it, but some of the low-hanging fruit, I like to call it more the critical few, and because we kind of use the 80-20 rule, as you know. Typically, it's 20% of the issues cause 80% of the problems. Sure. So when we can um, zero in on what those are, 
um, that gives us a a smaller universe of problems to focus on. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. I think you know we've certainly talked to a lot of um, uh, company leaders who said, I we have gone through the um, large scale change initiatives. It's given the size of our staffing, it's always very painful. Yes. And not only, it doesn't always bear fruit, unfortunately. And sometimes it's an um, indicative of a changing leadership environment. You know, uh, if you have some companies that every three to four years you're getting a new CEO, COO, or leader, Mm -hmm. well, um, they come in with a new set of ideas, they may come in with a new set of consultants, and they may come in with a new set of programs. And it is oftentimes the, uh, the middle, middle management level that have to bear the brunt of a lot of that. Right. One so, of the complaints I hear is, you know, we've had consultants in here before, mm-hmm. and they came in, they revamped the system, they gave us a quick training process, and then they were gone. And we're right back where we started from a year later. Yeah. Why would we want to bring you in? What dif- What are you going to do different than every other consultant? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think a lot of, I don't want to put all the blame on the consultants because that's who we are, obviously. And oftentimes we're asked to do a certain, a statement of work or a certain, um, and and uh, it, it's not necessarily the consultant's fault. It's more a reaction of the folks that are left behind to have to um, to do it themselves. Exactly. Um, so there, there are a lot of consulting groups out there that they create the strategy, they create the plan, and then they do. They, they, they're off to the next client, and the staff at these facilities are left to implement themselves. Okay. So that's where the rub comes in is because they're lean now. They have these generational issues in in workforce, um, and they don't necessarily always have the time mm-hmm. to Im- fully implement them. So that causes a lot of frustration. And so you know we've we've kind of um, tried to position ourselves to be that that implementation guide that helps the staff implement those programs fully get them ingrained in the culture get them ingrained in the get the processes ingrained with with the teams out there um to uh to really drive performance um i think uh the challenge comes in not trying to bite off too much uh at one time okay because the because there has been this gradual leaning out of staff and things it's it's like I, I use the term the critical few, it's, it's more important to focus on those critical few. Mm-hmm. Get those wins under your belt. Um, and especially the ones that actually move the needle on performance and productivity. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you do that, um, that gives the organizations that we work with um, the, the knowledge that what they're doing is having a positive impact mm-hmm. and they don't get frustrated. I've heard it's you just say, the opposite. Yes, I've yeah. heard you say to customers, we work with you, not over you. On you. On yeah. you. That's right, on yeah. you. And, and you use the word partner a lot. Right. What does that look like to a customer in respect to what we can do for them? Well, I, I think there is often a, um, oh, gosh, how should I say, uh, 
for a consulting firm to come in and feel like they need to have all the answers and they are the reason stuff gets fixed. Mm-hmm. And to basically um, um, show their worth. Okay. You know, they're getting, we're, we get paid a lot of money to do what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's too often that a lot of consulting firms want to take credit for all of that. Oh, okay. Um, for, for us, we, we've tried to kind of flip that on its head. We, when I say work with you, we want to partner with our people. We want to work in conjunction with those folks to make sure that they're not only, um, part of the solution, but they're part of the long-term sustainability of that particular program. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a consulting group coming in, telling you what to do and doing it. Right. Uh, oftentimes, um, we find that the best ideas don't come from us. They come from the people we're working with or the people inside the plant or facility who have spent a great portion of their lives there. We're not going to go in and tell them anything new right. for the most part. Right. They know what's broken. They know what needs to be fixed. What the issue is is they just need a partner to help augment their staff, mm-hmm. to get them over the hump, to get these things fixed. And, um, and so um, it's important for us uh, that we can come in, work with their teams, hit the ground running, and help make some really sustainable solutions to to their problems you know what i really like about engage energy and and your philosophy is that we take a genuine interest in our customers and and try to uncover their pains where it's difficult for Mm -hmm. them the issues that they're dealing with on a daily basis and uh and we like you said we try to partner with them and find uh, ways that we can help them get through it uh with the least uh cost involved Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we have a few minutes left, Don. The one question that I wanted to ask was, what else does Engage Energy offer to our customers um, besides corporate social responsibility programs and and uh, asset management programs and business transformation? What else can we do? Is there anything else we can do to help our customers out in the last few minutes we well, have? Um, well, absolutely. You know, I, I think... Uh, I, I do. I, I kind of I, I talk about partnership a lot mm-hmm. because um, it's not always having a necessarily a service or a product to sell. It is about solving a problem. And if we can use our knowledge, our insight, perhaps from other industries uh, and come in and help solve a problem, that's what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And for, for us, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I'm asked just to come in and just, hey, could you sit through this session? We're talking about some of our issues. Would love to have another set of eyes in here. I love that, especially when, a, when a, uh, somebody who I have known for or, or worked with maybe 10 years ago, maybe it's five years ago, calls me up and asks me to do that. I love that. That's huge for us yes. because it says, hey, what you did for us added value. We remember you and um, we value your insight. Um, more than anything, that's what I want us to do is help solve those problems. 
be that fresh set of eyes on a problem and and be a genuine partner um, to those companies and and help them get over the hump and fix those issues. When we do that, we make their lives easier and uh, and we build genuine I mean, we, you. I mean, you've seen this. We build genuine friendships with our clients. We do. Yeah, we do. So that's great to see. Yeah. Well, our time is up for today. I really appreciate you allowing us to turn oh, the no table a little fun. bit on you and <laughs> giving us your insight on some of these tough issues that no, uh, many you, of the industrial companies in the marketplace that we deal with are, are going through. Um, thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Uh, Engage with Energy Podcast. Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Engage with Energy. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more like it, please subscribe. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch us on YouTube. So subscribe, hit that like button, or leave us a comment or review. Be sure to follow Engage Energy and Industrial Consulting on social media and tell your friends or colleagues to check us out.